In today's episode, we're talking about customer-centric marketing. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. Today's episode is brought to you by Checked In, a new tool in your operations toolkit that helps you understand exactly who's working in your venue. It's one of the tech products the engagement team helped create during the pandemic, and with it, we set out to solve some of the key problems sports and entertainment operators face every day. The tool does a few things, from helping you gain more labor data to operate more efficiently and mitigate risk, and it also saves you time and headaches by automating the horrible check-in and credential approval process that has existed for so long. But my favorite part of Checked In, hands down, is that it's tied to a digital learning platform. Now, historically, training game day staff has taken place before the beginning of a season. But how do you train the workers that start mid-season or the workers that just come in to work the big games, the big events? Well, this tool solves that issue. With Checked In, you can create and push training to your teammates digitally And you can require employees to watch training videos before they're able to physically check in to work. Checked In has begun rolling out at some of the biggest stadiums in the country, and they're now opening up beta access on a limited basis. If you want to see how it works and get a demo, head to checkedin.app. That's C-H-E-C-K-D-I-N.app. We'll make it easy and link to it in the show notes. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Flip the Switch. Thank you guys for continuing to tune in. And if this is your first time with us, let me tell you a little bit about what we do here. We tend to have leaders in customer experience and employee experience on the show, and and we sit down with them and we try to talk about what are the trends that they are paying attention to, uh, what are the principles that, that drive some of their consistent work, and what are the lessons that they've learned along their career, and we take those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. And our goal is really to help the sports and entertainment industry think differently, think outside of the box by talking to leaders like our guest today, Elisa. So before I get into that, uh, I am joined by my good friend for this episode, Kevin Gober, who comes on periodically to be the yin to my yang, where I tend to focus more on strategies and tactics. Kevin is really focused on inspiration, motivation, culture, and how, how to embed these insights into the culture. Um, all right, a little bit more background on Elisa and why she is eminently qualified to talk to us about customer-centric marketing. All right, the best way to do that maybe is just to run through some of her recent roles, if you will. Uh, last role was Senior Vice President of Creative Strategy and Partnership Marketing at Rock Nation. Before that, she was the SVP of Marketing for the Miami Marlins. Before that, Vice President of Marketing for the Howard Hughes Corporation. Before that, head of product launch for Apple. She was chief marketing officer at Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment and the Brooklyn Nets. She's worked at HBO, Disney, Nickelodeon, you name it. She's had such a rich, varied background in the world of marketing, especially marketing towards fandoms. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. So we cover everything with Elisa from what it was like working with Jay-Z to talk about all the senses and incorporating that into the from the the street to seat journey and what that looked like uh, to talking about marketing in an area that maybe didn't have the strongest fandom and fans that had a lot of varied entertainment opportunities and how to stand out in in that marketplace. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. Uh, Elisa kills it on this episode, and so I, I feel like I'm detracting at this point by continuing to ramble on. So. Let's jump into this wide-ranging episode with my old friend, Kevin Gober, and my new friend, Elisa Padilla. All right, KG, Elisa, welcome to the show, guys. Good morning. Thanks for having me here. I'm so excited to join you and KG today. Thanks for joining Uh, us. It's just another wonderful uh, Friday. (laughs) We, we've got a great episode here with Elisa Padilla, everybody. But uh, I, first, I do want to start. We, we just started talking about it, and I want to hear a little bit more about it. KG's had a big week down in Atlanta with, what, you guys got named All-Star Game and LeBron getting kicked out of the arena, right? Both things kind of 
Le- LeBron didn't get kicked out. LeBron I mean, got people kicked out. <laughs> let's call it that. Let me tell you, I would have liked to kick LeBron out at halftime so we may could have won the game because um, we, we played him really tough, played him really tough. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, I will say, and I know we may get to this, it's great. It is great and exciting to have fans back in the building. Now, mm. <laughs> we've only got 8% of fans back in the building. But nonetheless, it's fun to have them back in the building. And uh, uh, LeBron said this in one of the interviews. He said, you know, I love fans being in there. I need fans being in there. Sound like Jack Nicholson in, uh, you know, one of the movies. I, you need me on that wall. I digress. But anyway, he said he needed fans in the building and like fans in the building because it, 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 it fosters that energy, that extra energy, you know, uh, from going back and forth, you know, with with fans and, and the little banter. And yeah, I think that just might have got a little out of hand because, um, you know, the gentleman had a little help. I'll leave that alone. <laughs> but Fair it's enough. been a, it's been a great week. Three games we've had this week. We got one more tomorrow. So we've got fans in the building. I'm excited, y'all. That's awesome. Uh, well, we've got Elisa Padilla here. I, I do want to get into talking to her about some of her experience with fans, obviously, and customer experience, uh, because she's got a lot at a lot of really cool, iconic places uh, and not just fans in the typical sense. Right. I think you, you've done some time with HBO and Apple as well. Ooh. So thinking about larger fandom and customer experience, uh, I know we'll get into a bunch of those topics today. Um, so why, why don't we start here? Uh We've we've all had a little bit of experience with BSE. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your time at uh, Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment and kind of what your favorite part of that whole experience of moving from New Jersey to Brooklyn was? Yeah, so I think that the experience with BSC was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I think that there aren't too many people that can move a team and open an arena at the same exact time. So we were that the group of people that opened up that building will, will forever be connected. But I think that from an arena perspective, I'll talk about that first. Um, Opening up Barclay center in Brooklyn, in the middle of, you know, a neighborhood was quite an experience because anyone who knows the history of building the arena, there were many lawsuits going, um, you know, leading up to the opening. And the fact that we were able to not only become good neighbors to the borough, to the neighborhood, but also offer an opportunity for jobs was really incredible for us because 92% of the staff that worked at Barclay Center were from Brooklyn or still are from Brooklyn. So that was really, really exciting for us. And as you know, we were thinking of the customer experience um, at the time, Jay-Z was still part of the ownership group and his, you know, direction and vision was that everyone who walked into Barclay Center felt like a star. So we were obsessed as an executive team to think of the customer journey and the thought of the street to seat experience. So, I mean, we we looked at every single detail to the level of, okay, what, what the minute that someone steps onto our plaza, what is the first thing that they're going to see? What are they going to hear? What is how, when they queue, you know, in line, whether it's the VIP club, whether it's Dean Street or the main entrance, what's that experience like? And I mean, I, I can say that the sensory experience was, I mean, I have a lot of favorite things that I did when I, you know, leading up to the arena, but um, working on the scent of what people smelled when they walked into the building, yeah. that was actually a pretty cool experience, <laughs> right? That we were, that I had a part in that along with a bunch of other team members. That was pretty cool, but we obsessed. I mean, we, we obsessed over, you know, once people got through the mags, whether they were going left, whether they were going right, what they were going to see. So, you know, for us, every single detail mattered. And, you know, when I moved on and, you know, I went to Apple and I was head of product launch there, it was very interesting because I thought we were obsessed with details at um, BSC, <laughs> but the level of, of obsession of detail at Apple was just a whole nother level. 
Um, which wait, 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 before you, before you keep yeah. going, cause there's too many things. I'm like, if yeah. I wait to the end of when you're done talking, I'm going to lose like 10 questions. Okay. Um, so when you're thinking about the street to seat journey, and again, this is like a, a while ago when New Jersey was moving to Brooklyn, yeah. um, for the nuts, but what, do you remember what some of the actual processes were that you were, that helped you guys really narrow into, we should be thinking about the scent, Right. Because I, I think most people don't when they think about that street to seat journey, they're not thinking as detailed as what does it smell like in here? Right. Yeah. Um, so so what were the maybe the processes or the exercises that got you thinking a little bit different than than maybe some of uh, your past stops? I think it, it literally we went we would go through we started with, OK, we are on Flatbush in Atlantic. We're looking at the building. Okay, we're walking. Okay, so it's like if you come up from the subway stop, what the first thing that you would see was the beautiful Oculus. Okay, so what does the creative look like? Is the creative still, is it moving? Why should it move? Why shouldn't it move? And then we also had restrictions in regards to the lighting because of the neighborhood um, Mm -hmm. restrictions. So we had to be very sensitive to that. So um, we, number one, we walked the path over and over and over again. Um, and it was you physically, 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 walked the path. physically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah physically. Perfect. Cause I think it's, it's very different, right. That you can look at a street map and you can say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. But unless you really walk it, you, you really don't understand it. So um, and then we had to go through that experience. So, for example, for the VIP club, um, it was like, okay, if you're coming in, doors don't open until 60 minutes before when you're standing online. What's that experience like? Are we going to have people talking to you? Or those were the types of things, but that we thought about, and we even thought about scripting to the to the T of when you walked into the arena. What were the ushers going to say to you? Hello, how are you? You know, have a great evening, whatever it was. I mean, we literally, so the process was literally mapping it out, walking it, how long it took us and documenting um, that whole experience. And then we were able to refine it. And then it was interesting because AEG handled the operations of the arena and we had to work very closely with the folks at AEG because- we were coming from the team side. We had never opened, let alone operated an arena. So there were things we wanted to do. And I remember the general manager at the time from AEG was like, Elisa, that's not happening. And I'm like, why not? So, but I learned about safety. You know, I learned about customer communication just from an arena facility side. So that that David, that was our process. I think I, I got to jump in there, right? Because you know, walk it over and over and over again, and mm-hmm. and and we—that's such a simple detail, right? But organizations mm-hmm. and leaders miss that simple detail, right? And and you were talking about the details and everything's in the detail. Well, I'm going back to Main Street with the sense and all yeah. of that. But but if if. That's the first, for me, big, big nugget that our listeners should take away. Walk your space over and over and over again to under, because you're going to see something different, right? It's just like reading a book. Sometimes you get a different revelation the second or third time around. So walk the building. That's huge. huge. Yeah. And the, and the other thing that, that I'll say to that is it's just, it's walk it and think of it from a consumer perspective. Absolutely. Right. Not from, you know, yeah, not from just like walking it, but think, think like a fan if you're in an an arena or ballpark setting. With their emotions attached and everything, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting too. I mean, we were talking about it this week. One of the exercises that we often do when we're like customer journey mapping with our clients is you, you drill down and say, okay, what are the different personas that are going through each of these? Because what that experience looks like for a, a dad and his two kids or a mom and her two kids or family of four looks very different than the corporate partner suite yeah. guys, right? Yeah. And so the, that same journey for them, what could be a, a plus to one group is a negative to another group. Yeah. So you almost have to have like put on a, a, a 
put on a disguise, if you, a mental disguise, if you will, and put yourself truly in somebody's shoes. Don't just yeah. walk it as if you're yourself. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I, I also like the fact uh, of that you said, you know, Jay-Z's mentality for the organization was treat everybody like a star, right? So to David's point of that persona of everybody, everybody is going to be a star, but within their own rights, within their own you know, space, if you will. So how do we tailor things to them? But at least we knew we wanted to treat them special, right? Like a star. So that's, I mean, amazing things in just, not just marketing, but a holistic approach to the guest experience, to the marketing strategy, to the to the design and everything of, of that space. Amazing. I'm 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 seeing Flatbush in my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I also think one thing that I would like to add is, you know what, I think that a lot of leaders think, oh, well, we've already done that. You know what? We've been open already for nine years. Um, we've nailed it. Well, the reality of it is, is that nine years ago, the the consumer was different, right? It, it's the consumer journey should be evolving. It shouldn't be a one and done approach. And it also shouldn't be a set and forget approach. We, when you're thinking about your guest experience and, you know, you're thinking about, you know, that one-to-one connection, that should be, you should be refining that process on a yes. daily basis. Yes. Hundred um, percent. I'm, I'm curious. You started to get into Apple, and then I interrupted you. Um, I can only imagine that Apple took the seriousness of detail and truly the holistic customer journey. And what are they feeling? What are they seeing? What are they touching? Uh, I can only imagine they took it to a deeper level. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that I will say that was very eye-opening to me um, was that when I joined Apple, everyone who works for Apple is committed to producing and developing products that are going to enhance people's lives. So I took the position of head of product launch. And the year that I joined, they were opening up the Steve Jobs Theater, which was very, very exciting. And we talk about walkthroughs I mean, and walkthroughs and walkthroughs, that was that it was just that it it was so eye opening that it actually I was there for a short time. But what I will say is that it even made me better that by the time I got to Marlins Park and we'll get to that, the operations people were like, stop her from walking the concourses. I cannot get, you know, one more list from her. So I think there she that, goes again. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So I really think that, you know, it's the the details at Apple were just, it was just really, really eye opening. And, you know, it was everything from very unlike Barclay Center, where Ticketmaster was our ticket provider. At Apple, we had an interactive team and and they created the invites and the the level of details of where everything was meticulously placed on the invite to how that led to how everything would be scanned, to how everyone would line up, to how everyone would go through, you know, um, security and then each touch point as they were walking up to the theater. It was just, it was just so, it was eye-opening, but it was also even more refreshing because I felt that we in Brooklyn, that we were obsessed with details, but there's always another next level of detail. And that's why I go back to, it can't be a set and forget mentality. I have a question regarding that. So I think sometimes when I when I when we're working with with teams, I mean, you can tell that there's silos, and and this just happens in organizations, right? The email team is sending out the email, or the marketing team is sending out the email, and the operations team is focused on how people actually go through there. But from what you just described with Apple, it seemed like there was a maybe a more cohesive way of everyone working together to figure out what that was. Are, are there any tactics strategy wise that they did to really bring those teams together that you look to apply at the Marlins or other places? Yeah, I think that the biggest difference is that everyone for the launch event that I'm referring to, we, we sat in daily meetings together. And every, there was, I mean, there were 20 plus people in these meetings. We had a tight agenda and we focused on things 
like everybody was laser focused on what we were, what the task at hand was. And everyone was at the table. And I feel that, you know, it's, it's really interesting because when I, I'll go back to for a second, when I was in Brooklyn at Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment, marketing was the heartbeat of the organization. Everything went through marketing. I had my eyes on everything from napkin development to uniform development to, you know, box office envelopes plus launching campaigns. I mean, I was involved in everything. And at Apple, it felt like everybody who was um, uh, a stakeholder was also at the table. And then, you know, when I got to Marlins Park, it was a new team. So we were learning how to work with one another. And we were, you know, we were all figuring out how our businesses interconnected. But at the end of the day, silos don't work. Um, because right. if if you're thinking about the customer experience and you're think and you think about if someone has a great experience, they're going to tell you know five people. If they have a bad experience, they're going to tell twenty five people. So you you have to be sensitive in making sure that everybody's interconnected. Um, you know, and sometimes it's uncomfortable to get out of your lane and get in someone else's lane and they may not like it, but as long as everyone is, you know, has the same and is going towards the same North star, that's all that should really matter. What is, what does it look like, uh, when, you know, let's just make maybe Marlins park, right. When you have to go in as the leader and you have to communicate that these processes have to take place, that we have to come together. How do you, how do you push past, I'll say the pain points of getting everybody at the table? I think, you know what, I think as long as you do it with respect and as long as you lean in and demonstrate that you're respecting someone else's expertise or their tenure or, you know, the the we've we've always done it this way and it's like well you know what I think my approach KG you know when I got to Marlins Park was I asked a lot of questions and I did a lot of listening mm-hmm. um and after I listened and I asked questions I then said okay well you know what can we look at it from this perspective and this is why this is what I'm thinking of so I think that as long as you're not coming in heavy handed and I mean that you know, um, like literally, um, that, you know, you have to listen and you have to be empathetic and you have to respect other people's experience. And just because you may have a different point of view of how things should be done, um, doesn't always mean that you should, you know, plow those opinions on other people because they have, you know, their, their own experience. Absolutely. I mean, it's that, it's that soft approach, Right. Mm-hmm. It's that it's that warm connection that that builds in, in everything internal and external that builds those emotional connections and relationships. And then it builds the results. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Great stuff. Absolutely. Great absolutely. stuff. While we're talking about Miami, I, I, I want to get into this at some point. I, I'm I'm constantly monitoring the time right now because I'm like, I have way we have way questions <laughs> here for, for the time that we have a lot. Of. Um so, Elisa, I, I mean, I think you've had a really interesting experience as a sports marketer where a lot of sports marketers that work for teams or leagues uh, have traditionally really focused on how do I get people in the building? How do I sell more tickets? How do I market more tickets? And I think a lot of your stops have been much more about marketing and experience. I mean, Jay-Z and, and BSE and that whole thing, obviously, you just talked about what that was like at being an experience. In Miami, you're forced to market an experience <laughs> because it's a totally different market. We did some work with FIU down there, and you know, from studying all the all the the fans and alumni, you're like, these guys don't care about sports. You got to sell something else to them. Yeah. Um, so, so talk to us a little bit about how you view the role of maybe a, a chief marketing officer for a team or a league now, and what what is it that they should be marketing um, versus, and maybe how that's changed. Uh, over the last five years and especially the last 12 months? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely look in sports, you're selling on emotion, right? Even in entertainment, when you're selling concerts, you're selling on emotion. And the the most exciting thing about going to a sports event is that you don't know the final score. So 
But you're just, that's one part of the selling. The other part of it is the comprehensive, the way that I like to refer to it is the 360 approach, right? What is the fan? What are they coming to see? What are they going to eat? How are they going to be entertained? What, from the second, when I was at Marlins Park, you know, we used to think about, okay, the experience starts when they come into the garage, right? What are they seeing? Who are they seeing? How is traffic being directed? You know, because we had we had multiple levels. Um, and then once they got onto the plaza, um, you know, we know that Insta- Instagrammable moments was a huge thing. So when we did the relaunch um, and we kicked off the 2019 season, we had a movable um, huge giant M so that people could take photos of themselves um, even before they got into the ballpark, right? That was part of the experience. And we knew that, you know, again, as I said earlier, that the customers are always changing. So now everyone who has a phone is a content creator. So it's like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna provide something, meaning the, the, the oversized logo to be a photo op so that people can share that there are Mar- at Marlins Park there. So now we have other folks amplifying our voice through our right through our fans were amplifying our voice um and you know then when they got into the ballpark you know one of the things that i'm really proud of the team at the marlins um headed up by the cro really looked at local businesses and from a culinary experience and infuse that Miami flavor into the ballpark. So we had a few local establishments who opened up concession stands. So that for us was just one step further of the experience that, okay, you know what? We're just not offering, yes, if you want your typical hot dog, peanuts and beer, you can have that. But if you want something a little bit more sophisticated, we're going to, we're going to provide those offerings, right? Because we know that food is a really, really big experience of a sporting event. Um, And then even to the detail of the music, um, you know, we infuse, you know, Spanish language music. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that a lot of the players were Latino. So they were able to pick, you know, their own song when they went to bat. So we, we, from a cultural perspective, we were very sensitive to, okay, we can't go overboard with the Latin music. How do we infuse pop? How do we infuse, you know, hip hop to reflect that um, Miami since Miami is such a, you know, diverse community. Well, my favorite part of Marlins Park was the bar downstairs in the outfield. Uh, what, what, um, 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 I'm, the name escapes me now. Wow. Oh my uh, goodness. It is. Yes. I know. Blanking, it's blanking on me too. <laughs> oh my. Because, because my time in Miami, when I was there for three years, we went to several games uh, with my heat colleagues and yeah, we started out and then we always ended up downstairs. Yeah. The yeah. Club. I had the, with the pool. Oh my <laughs> yeah, God. I can't. Yeah, no, yeah. It I, wasn't, I, was I, it the I'm Clevelander? Blanking. Yes, the Clevelander. Yes, the the Clevelander. Clevelander. Yes, yes, thank you, David. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. 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 Okay, I digress. But <laughs> either way, I think it's a fun park, and I think Elisa, your point around you said you said a sentence there that resonated with me, which is kind of like we reflected Miami or we tried to reflect Miami, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that becomes big no matter where you are, even if you're in a place that doesn't have in your mind, what would be a ton of culture? The town does have its own culture. The city does have its own culture, even if you're in a a small college town. And so how can you do the best to kind of become an ecosystem of that, a gathering of that, where it's, it's kind of that, exponentially, if you will, all in one. Yeah, I mean, that, that, you know, you, you know, David, that's our story here in Atlanta, right? We mm-hmm. are true, true to Atlanta, right? Yeah. True to our entertainment, true to our food culture, true to everything Atlanta in that arena, in State Farm Arena. And it's a, it's, it's like the you've got game. The, you've is, got the Killer Mike Barbershop, right? Yes, like, right. We got Killer Mike Barbershop. We got Old Lady Gang Restaurant. We got, you know, J.R. Crickets. We, we have all these things. So, Coming to a game, the game is extra, right? Because yeah. all these things are familiar 
with our guests that are coming in. So you think about, right, walking in their shoes and making it a, a easy transition into the arena. You know, I, I, I got a question, right? Because just in listening or looking at some of your information, <clears throat> Alyssa talks about this uh, experience in high stakes efforts. How do you define high stakes efforts and how would you communicate or educate someone on how to approach, you know, going in to conquer that agenda? Yeah, look, it's all when you're when you're a chief marketing officer at a team or at a venue, you're you're evaluated on butts and seats. Right. I mean, you may not have uh, you may not be on the revenue side where, you know, you have you're responsible for a line item. However, that's how you're measured. And when I think about, you know, high stakes, I think about making sure that if you are in an arena that that seats 20,000 or a ballpark that seats 30,000, that you are putting together the best strategic approach, meaning you're understanding your the, the market that you're in. That's really, really important. Number two, you're understanding your guests or potential guests. And David mentioned it earlier. You even have to drill down to personas because you can't speak to millennial the same way that you speak to, you know, a family of four. So it's really understanding the data of, you know, who has come to your location and who potentially could come to your location and then what matters to them the most, right? Because for a millennial, you know, a night out with friends may look very different than a dad taking his son or daughter to their first ballpark. So I think, you know, thinking of it strategically in terms of, you know, so you have your data, then you have to develop your messaging. And at the end of the day, the way that I look at it, it's about evoking emotion to drive action to get your wallet. Because if you, it's that simple, right? It's that simple. At the end of the day, with the competition, you know, in Miami, the Heat, the Dolphins, or the Panthers were not our competition. Our competition was the lifestyle of Miami, right? Mm -hmm. So on a Sunday afternoon, if we had a 110 game, we were competing, and it was a beautiful day. We were competing. You're with competing people, with the beaches, yeah, with the beaches <laughs> and the bay, and people being on their boats. Yes. So, what were we offering? And look, we 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 took a step back and we looked at pricing. Okay, so it was an affordable destination, um, affordable entertainment. We looked at the food offering; it was also affordable, so that a family of four could come to to come to Marlins Park. And not break the bank. So I think I think those are the things that leaders need to look at. And you can't the consumer has changed. And especially the last 12 months, you know, even though you mentioned earlier that you only had 8% of fans in the building, the behavior of that of those fans has changed drastically from, you know, last year at this time, because you know what, they've been home, um, they're consuming content differently. And the one thing that I would, you know, that I would say to, to leaders now is think of that hybrid model. Think of how, if, if your fans have been home consuming your content via their, the TV or their mobile device, what are you going to do to get them out of the house, right. off their couch, to go into an arena and pay to consume the same content? Yes. Yep. It, I, uh, I, I, I was on mute. I was gonna. I was gonna jump oh. in here, Alisa. Uh, uh, I mean, I, to that note, do you think the role over the last twelve months? I mean, based on your experience with Apple and HBO, especially, I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this. Um, Traditionally, a CMO's role has always been about butts and seats. I think it'll still be that way for for a number of years going forward. But it it almost feels like the role is changing because to me, this last 12 months has opened up what could be potential new significant revenue streams to create fan engagement and create emotional connections to the brand, but doing it in a way where they might not be coming to your venue in person. Um, I I don't know what thought... There's not a real question there, but I mean, there's... 
I want to hear what you, what your thoughts are on on this changing landscape from that perspective. Yeah, I definitely it, it's something that I've thought about a lot, and it's what's going to happen and what is happening is that the marketing tactics have flipped. So think you know pre pandemic we were thinking digital, right? We wanted to think digital first, but and look in full transparency, we were so many of us we're still stuck in, okay, you know what, this has always worked. So now what, what COVID-19 has forced marketers to do is to be even more innovative and more forward thinking that coming off this pandemic, you're going to have to think digital first. There's no question about it. And if you're not thinking digital first, you're not going to do your business any justice because the reality of it is, is that the mobile phone and the digital, whether it's social, whether it's email, whether it's display, um, traditional, you know, advertising, that is now how people are consuming content first. They're not, they're not looking, they're not picking up the newspaper. They're not buying the newspaper. Um, and I, I'm using that example just to, I use the newspaper example just to make, to really emphasize the, the, the point that you have to think digital first. And from digital then comes content development, right? So look, I can tell you that when I was at the Marlins and even when I was at BSC, no one in my position had cracked across the league. Um, The NBA nor the NHL or MLB had cracked the code on monetizing content. Well, you know what? Now, post-pandemic, someone's going to figure it out. And it's that because that is content is king. And that is the one way that, you know, that brands and teams and leagues are going to have to continue to evolve their fandom and also community, you know, community engagement and growing your community in terms of really identifying, you know, how you can have grow that fandom virtually if you're not sitting in in the arena. So I think those are the things that, you know, the CMO has to be thinking about. You know, that that's interesting because my my last uh, few months, maybe year at, at Miami with the heat, uh, we started talking about, right, how do we monetize that content? And at first, the, the some of the heads went all the way around. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Huh? What? Uh, you know, but to your point, it was it was forward thinking to uh-huh. note that at some point. Right. Either one, we're going to play so well, you know, we're going to play so well, we we going to have a waiting list of season ticket members or folks to get in games. So how do we still keep them engaged? Um, right. We didn't see, of course, nobody saw this coming a pandemic. Mm-hmm. So now we can really move into keeping them engaged, uh, i.e. things that were done in the bubble and all of that, you know, to keep fans there. So yeah, it is it is a huge conversation. Um, and it's I don't think when we started talking about it in Miami, I don't think it was something that would um, what's the word? It was it was wrong to do, I'll say, uh, or or, uh, um, you know, taking advantage, taking advantage of our of our fans and our guests. But another way to your point, you said earlier to have a touch point. Yeah. Right? So how can we have a touch point with people that want to anywhere they are, including in person? I think it's yeah. an amazing, yeah, great and those, conversation. And those things extend to merchandise sales, right? Oh, yeah. So, yes. you know oh, what? Yes. It's just like you have to, and that's why the 360 approach is so critical because as you're thinking about the one to one point, and look, at the end of the day, it's let's not kid ourselves and walk around with rosy colored glasses. It's all about share of it, it, it's a it's share wallet, right? It's if if a consumer is going to spend $25, and we used to talk about this all the time when I was at the Marlins, if they're gonna spend $25, I want them to think about Marlins baseball first yeah. before they think about going to a movie theater right. or they think about going out to a, to have dinner. So it's um yeah it's it's really you know you have to really think you know think about um and and be forward thinking. I, I love the three sixty approach. I I know we want to talk a little bit about your time at Rock Nation, Elisa. Um, but so I'm going to use a weird uh a weird metaphor based to transition <laughs> us there. Uh, this there is, that's, that's what I tend to do. Uh, <laughs> so we we had a guy on the show named Dan Runcy. Uh, he runs a, a 
business of hip hop kind of advisory group uh, newsletter. And I think of what you're talking about with this 360 approach and monetizing content based on kind of like a tweet that he sent out yesterday where he put out, he's like, Hey, which year do you think was like the peak Drake year? Uh, so the, the best year that Drake has had so far. And he said 2015 and the list of things of why was really interesting because it was all things that were kind of outside of the music itself and more about the storyline. So like beefing with Meek Mill, uh, the hotline bling music video where it just turned into a Jason. That was like the, it felt like that was the year that he turned into, it was more about the storylines around Drake than his actual music. And that created this bigger ecosystem that he could then sell more merchandise to because he was leading with like share of attention that led to share of wallet. Um, so anyway, I think that's really relevant to what we're talking about here is like, what are the storylines? And I think about now, like the NBA, for example, I don't know when the last time was that I sat down and watched a full game. I haven't, I don't think I've done it yet this season, but I could tell you every storyline going on in the NBA right now. And so I think when you go back to your 360 approach that you've been talking about, that to me kind of sums it up. Is, mm-hmm. am, I, am I hearing that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's at the end of the day, you want, you want to be part of the conversation. Right. So and I think that that's really that's really important. And there is so the marketplace is so cluttered right now that it's, you know, how do you bubble up to the top and be part of that, be part of that conversation and be relevant too? Well, let's talk about Rock Nation, Uh, talking about music, Jay-Z. What were some of your bigger what have been some of your biggest learnings from Rock Nation? And uh, yeah, why don't we start there? Okay, so what I can, I'll share, you know, I had the opportunity to join Rock Nation in February of 2020. And it was a really, I I joined the division, um, Rock Nation Unified, which was, their goal was to commercialize the brand. So in my role as the SVP of Creative Strategy and Marketing Partnerships, I was responsible uh, for supporting the sales team who were focused on um, selling brand partnerships for for um, the athletes, talent, the foundation, and also for events. So, you know, I think that selling a, a selling a personality is much, much different than selling tickets. That was the number one key learning. Um, how so? And how so? How, well, you know what? When, when you work at a team or you work for an arena – and you're selling a concert or you're selling a game, you're not selling, you're selling an experience where when you're, you're, when you're talking to brand partners about an individual, right. And being aligned with that individual, that individual is the, the one that has the ultimate say that's going to say, yes, I'm going to do that or no, I'm not going to do that. Right. So that that's just very, very different where, you know, when you're selling a game, the person is buying, you know, Atlanta versus, you know, the, the Lakers, they're not buying LeBron versus someone else. So that was very, very interesting. And when you were five steps away from the athlete or, you know, from the music talent, you, you weren't getting, you know, you were getting filtered information. So that was really interesting. That was a really key learning for me. Um, and then the other thing was just how fast paced um, things change, you know, working with athletes, working with a talent. I mean, the base, it's like, okay, at 10 o'clock, you could say, okay, this is happening. And at 10 15, you can get a call. Nope, it's not happening. So that ever changing, I mean, it was really, really, that was keeping up with that was also very eye opening. Um, and then look, my time there was very short. It got cut short. Um, I was there for two months and then I was furloughed due to COVID and eventually laid off in September of 2020. Um, but you know, I think that Rock Nation is going to do amazing, continue to do amazing things. And it's just been really great to see what Brett, my former C- CEO from Brooklyn Sports and Entertainment is doing there and continuing to grow that brand. Yeah. Let's talk about what you've been up to lately uh, with Kick It by EP. Tell us a little bit about that because I think uh, we've got a lot of strong females that listen to the show. I hope. Uh, I know know I've heard from some of them. uh, But uh, yeah, tell us us about what you're doing there because I think it's incredible. 
Yeah. So, you know, uh, 2020, and I don't have to say this, but it just turned so many lives upside down. And when I was furloughed, you know, in full transparency for the first, you know, 24 hours, you know, I was feeling sorry for myself. And then I was like, okay, how do I flip this narrative? Right. Um, And flipping the narrative for me was about paying it back. Um, and you know, kick it by EP is rooted in three things. It's rooted in educate, inspire and paying it forward. And it is, um, it's an IG live series where women can tell their story it's a 20 minute. It's so it's snackable content, um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at noon for 20 minutes. I have someone come on, they tell their story So they're educating our audience, they're inspiring our audience. And then at the end, um, I ask them to provide three career insights. And those three career insights is the paying it forward portion. And it's been incredible. I've had over 75 conversations and the community is growing and they're fully engaged. And for me personally, it has really, from a marketing perspective, it has really taught me about content development. It's taught me about community engagement and building a community. And it's really a platform to elevate women's, uh, the voices of women who otherwise wouldn't be telling their story. And it's been so incredible to number one, see how people have been connecting. Number two, the feedback that I'm getting from people just in regards to, you know, that was so inspirational. I never thought that I could have that type of job. So it's been really, really great. Um, and I'm something that I'm really proud of. And, you know, um, I just, it, it has kept me going during this time. You know, I'm going to jump in there and I'm going to throw the, the yellow flag in there or the red flag and challenge one of those statements. You said it taught you content development and it taught you more about <laughs> engagement. Are you kidding? Are you kidding, Elisa? <laughs> You, well, you, you <laughs> just in a short time, just in a short time. And, and, and last night, right. Understanding some of your background and bio, right. You, you, you thrive off this and you've been very, very successful. Right. And so really that's just my fun way of really giving you kudos, right. Of sharing um, your expertise, sharing your knowledge and something that's really near and dear to my heart, inspiring others. Right. I think when we when we have that gift and when we've we worked on our craft and when we've learned how to make organizations strong and great and better, we have a responsibility. So thank you for accepting your responsibility to inspire others. You know, you've learned so much. Get out of here. I know I know what you're I know what you're saying, Elisa, because I heard, I heard what you said on another podcast about this. So I already know where you're gonna go with this. But go ahead. No, I think I, I just think that, you know, similar to how we opened up the conversation, right? It's like you have to continue to learn. So yes. when I think I need, I need that statement because look, I've taught myself how to <laughs> edit videos before I had a team who used to do that. Right. Yeah. Like, so now I'm not a professional, but you know what? I can edit a video. And I'm so proud of that because <laughs> despite the fact that I've had over two decades of marketing experience, I'm still learning. <laughs> so thank you though. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's it's definitely a journey, right? It's definitely a journey, you know, being someone who who is in learning and development, professional development, training development, call it what you want, um, you know, the inspired inspiration of people. It is a journey, right? So for our listeners out there, right, it, it definitely is a journey. We have to continue to develop our craft and hone our skill to make ourselves better and the organizations that we connect with and the people that we connect with better. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my PSA Malay for today. <laughs> I, I was going to say, so at least if you haven't picked up on this, uh, the dynamic between KG and I, KG is all about inspire and motivate. And I'm all about like, <laughs> give me the horrible, boring yeah. details of like the nitty gritty <laughs> tactics. Anyway, yeah. uh, So if, at least if you had to pick a favorite episode that you've done so far, of kick it by EP. What is it? And you have to pick one. You have to, you have to choose one. Yeah, Yeah, no. I, and I know exactly which one I'm going to highlight. So I worked with a young woman, um, at Brooklyn sports and entertainment, and she is currently at Twitch and part of my content strategy at the first 11 women who helped me launch this series in September 
a few months later, I did a throwback series. So she came back on um, as part of the throwback series and she flipped the narrative. So when it came to career insights, she said, I've already done this. She said, I'm going to tell you and share what I have been going through um, through this pandemic to see if others have been going through the same thing. And I want feedback from the audience. And I was like, like literally, like she said, and I was like, okay. I was like, she got me on this one. Cause that's not, I, w- I wasn't prepared like mentally for her to flip the narrative while we were on live, but I was able to pivot very, very quickly. So talk about, you know, evolving. Um, that was my favorite episode because she flipped the narrative on me, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, which I wasn't expecting. And she, and it was a great conversation and it was just as, I mean, she made really, really valid points that it actually got me thinking, I'm like, okay, you know what? Well, I don't want to address and harp on COVID-19 moving forward. It's still, it, I have to figure out how to infuse it in the conversation. That's kind of interesting too. Cause yeah. what I, I, I pull from that, that's kind of interesting too. Cause David, we always talk about, and we've had some guests on talking about innovation, right. And being creative and doing things different ways or someone saying we've always done it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's moments like that, that you can capitalize on where, you know, you flip the narrative and you have to think a different way. Right. Yeah. So COVID made us all think a different way. Right. And continue to think a different way and do things and strategize and and market and sell all totally different. And, um, you know, that can be really rewarding, but it can also be very challenging. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Katie, let's let's make sure we uh, Elisa, is that episode recorded somewhere? We have that. Uh, yes. Yes. I can send you the link. Katie. Let's let's yeah. get that and, and we'll, we'll link it in the in the show notes. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 All right. So the, all the rest of the questions that we have are like totally, I don't know how to segue to any of them. Uh, <laughs> as, as good as I like to think I am at, at segueing, uh, which I'm probably terrible. All of our listeners are like, dude, you're the worst. Um, but, hence, uh, hence, hence his segue topics uh, or change transition right there. He's going to tell you he's going to do it and can't do it and then do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I mean, one thing I know we've talked about covering before we got on because all of us had this this kind of crossing of paths if you will at brooklyn sports and entertainment when kg and i were with disney institute uh helping with elevate um and and helping from a mindset perspective and we've said the word a couple times north star um i want to go back to the time at bse uh, which is where you you had a really long career there uh, mm-hmm. and talk a little bit about that that influence that that disney might have had on you guys yeah absolutely look i think that I think that the Disney training was so impactful for us because for a, a few different reasons. Number one, there there were many of us who had started in New Jersey and who had been at Prudential Center. And, you know, the team was a lame duck and the team stunk and the fans, you know, hated us because we were leaving. So when we got to Brooklyn, it it almost... It, it was a, refr- a restart for all of us. And going through the Disney training, you know, after we went through the training and, you know, we all got our ears and we would be <laughs> in, you know, we would be in meetings and we would be like, and, you know, we never use the word, but, right. It would, it would, those, those tiny little things that from a cultural perspective really helped us be more cohesive and in line with, with following and making sure that we were going to get to our North Star and to deliver results for our ownership. Um, the way that, you know, we treated one another in terms of even just providing direction, right? We never pointed, right? So, I mean, just those little, again, yeah, like you go talk about details, like, after we went through our Disney Institute training, you never saw anyone go like this. Never, right? So you never saw anyone use just one finger to point. And it it, it was those, those things that, you know, I, the one thing that I will tell you that I still instituted even at my Rock Nation days was the leaders walk. Every Friday, I would do a leaders walk. And 
in Brooklyn, um, I didn't have, I did it in Brooklyn after Disney training and I did it in Miami. I didn't have an opportunity to do it at Brock nation. I also did it at Apple, but on Fridays I would do my leaders walk and I would either buy someone on my team lunch or coffee, a a totally unexpected, right? It was just like, okay, you know what? I'm going to treat you for lunch. And they'd be like, you're going to have lunch with me. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not going to have lunch with you. I'm going to buy you lunch. Um, and you know, or even the afternoon, like the cup of coffee. So for me that because in Brooklyn, I had such a big team, there were 62 people by the time I left having that one-to-one time, um, with a lot of my team members was impossible, but on Fridays, it was my number one priority was to do the leader's walk or to buy someone lunch or coffee. Wait, okay. I have to drill down a little bit more tactic wise. Yeah. Did you walk around the stadium and talk while eating? Did you just go sit down with them in a location? How long was it? How did you choose the person? Give us a little bit more detail on that yeah, in case the yeah. leader wants to implement that. Yes. Yeah, so no. So um, in Brooklyn, um, so we are, I was, where my office was, we had cubes, right? So I would come out of my office and I would literally go up and down the rows of the cubes. And normally I, how I started was the person farthest from my office. That's how I selected them, right? So the first Friday that I did it, I remember going, um, it was the part of the analytics group. I was like, okay, you know what? I'm like, we're going to have coffee today. And it was like, really? I'm like, yeah, three o'clock, get your coat. We're going to walk out to get coffee. Um, So so that was the coffee routine. And I always did it like three o'clock because everybody always needed an afternoon break. And then for lunch, because I alternated, um, for lunch, it would be like that morning, I would select, again, the the person furthest from my office, uh, if they didn't have coffee, the next person was going to have lunch. And I would just give them my credit card. And I'd say, you know what? lunch is on me today. Here's your credit. Here's my credit card, charge it, get whatever you want and just give me my credit card back when I'm done. So I'd have, I'd have been really nervous at the, at the onset of the uh, coffee and leader walk, because I would have probably said, Oh my, today's my last day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I mean, what, what was the response from the t- maybe individuals and then as a, the team over time? because of those things? What did you feel like the impact was? Well, I think that at first it was like, why does she want to buy me coffee? Like, <laughs> what are we going to talk about? Um, and then I think that as as time went on, I think that they were really appreciative yeah. um, of it. And I and I have to say, you know, fast forward to Miami, um, um, you know, this it was either breakfast in Miami or lunch. But my team in Miami always looks forward to it that at by the end on Friday mornings, they'd be like, Oh, so who's having lunch today? You know, you, and in Miami is a little bit different because you had, we either had to go out to get lunch or um, we had to order in. So it wasn't like Brooklyn where we could just walk down, you know, I could walk downstairs with someone or they could walk downstairs. Um, so I think that by the end, people appreciated it. And I think it's, it's like the smallest thing, right? I mean, buying someone lunch. I mean, I know that, you know, what's 20 bucks to put an emotional deposit in someone's bank account. And that's the way that I look at it, right? I mean, it's really an emotional deposit into their bank account. Um, And I think it's just really important because it really humanizes people. Yeah. Were, were and, there were there any I mean, were there any specific things that you guys would talk about in those one on ones? No, it was always just very casual because I, I thought that it was really important that I always wanted people to to know that I'm the type of leader that just because I am the leader of the group doesn't mean that I know it all. Um, I'm humble enough to know that I am learning from the most junior person on my team to the most senior person that I'm reporting into. Um, and I think that, you know, that the walks to get coffee were just like, hey, how's it going? You know, I wanted to learn whether they had a family, whether they had kids, whether they had a dog. And if they had a dog, of course, then the conversation would then become all about dogs because anyone who knows me, I have two little dogs, Trevor and Trey, and I'm completely obsessed with them. So um, it was more just of getting to know my team and then, 
again, going back to that one-to-one, I learned more about them on those walks than I did in staff meetings or any other time. Yeah. 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 Well, I I know our conversation has been all over the place and to anyone listening, sorry, we we just had a bunch of questions that were like, (laughs) okay, how can we cram all of these in, uh, in an hour? Uh, we we might have to have a part two at some point, but why don't, why don't we cover this one just to, to kind of close this out? What, What advice might you have for, uh, leaders in sports and entertainment that are listening to this episode? I think my advice, David KG, is that, you know what, you have to, in, in this environment that we're in, you have to lead with empathy and compassion. And the brands and the leaders that are leading with empathy and compassion are going to be the ones that are going to win um, because the world is completely turned upside down. And I think it's really, really important. And I I love the way you phrased it too, because it's from an internal and an external perspective, Mm -hmm. both the way you lead your people, as well as the way you, you market to customers. So yeah, absolutely. Anything else guys, before we uh, jump off, this this has been a fun one for me. It has been fun. It has been fun. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alyssa, for joining us today. This was good. You've been great, Alyssa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. It's been an awesome conversation this Friday morning. <laughs> but, but, and that's what we do. We just have fun. That's all. It, it is super early still for me. I'm like, I'm on uh, Chicago time. So it's like coming around eight o'clock. But um, Elisa, where can people reach you if they want to follow along your journey, connect with you, ask questions? Obviously, kick it by EP, but tell us a little bit more about where they might be able to follow you. Yeah, you could definitely connect with me on LinkedIn, Elisa Padilla. Um, the one thing that I will say is that, you know, I'm pretty, um, while I'm accessible, I, I'm pretty selective, full transparency of who I allow, that who I connect with on LinkedIn. Um, on Twitter, you can find me. I'm EP Reekin. Um, Love Twitter, love being part of that community. And of course, on Instagram at Kick It By EP. Um, so I think those would be the three places where you can find me. Perfect. We'll link to all those in the show notes uh, for easy access for people. Um, Elisa, thank you again so much. This has been a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your journey. You too. Okay. Thank you. Hey, guys. Before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.